Welcome to the One Solution Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to explore if there really is one solution to all the world's problems. And that perhaps that solution lies in the mind. The mind is both the source of those problems, but also the solution to those problems. Welcome to another episode of the One Solution Podcast. Today we have Stephanie Fox in our amazing studio. What? <laughs> hello, hello. She's dancing here for people who are listening. And, um, you know, as some of you know, she's part of kind of the leadership team of One Solution. And her focus is especially on the Middle East and basically all things conflict, all things peace related, all things that's related to creating a new generation of youth. She's really inspired about teaching youth about the mind and how those things create their world and create the actual world. So we're really excited to finally have her in this amazing studio. And um, the theme of today is how do we end war, really, or all kinds of conflict? And is that possible? And if it is, how does that happen? So that's the theme. But before we start, did you want to say anything? Oh, no, I was just going to start asking Stephanie questions. Oh, me too. I have one on the tip of my tongue, but I can be patient and wait in line. All right. (laughs) It's not my forte, but I can do it. (laughs) So my first thing I want to ask you, Stephanie, is kind of take us to like... You've experienced conflict and war and refugee crisis in real time. Like me and Mara, we're mostly like, we talk about it, we read about it. You've kind of experienced it. So tell us a little bit about how that was and what you've seen about the mine in the later years that gave you a new perspective on that, that whole concept. Sure. Well, uh, First of all, so great to be here (laughs) in this very professional studio. And um, so I had um, the privilege of serving Palestine refugees in Gaza for about five years with the United Nations. And that was kind of like the most constant uh, exposure to to war and conflict um, that I've had. I've also... um, done some brief work in in Angola after their uh, civil war. Um, But it was in Gaza that I really got to see uh, firsthand um, what it looks like on the ground, both during a war and in the aftermath of um, a war. Unfortunately, there is this uh, ongoing cycle of violence that exists there. And every couple years, um, there'd be a huge escalation um, with rockets flying and, um, you know, missiles being dropped from planes and also ground incursion. And then a period of a lull where um, re- some form of rebuilding would take place. Um, depending upon the resources available, and then it would repeat itself again in a couple years later. And um, this just really, 
kind of left me disillusioned because the there seemed to be no end to it. Um, and after five years of, of experiencing that, some of the hope and optimism that I had when I first went there, it was it was basically gone because I couldn't see a way out of the cycle of violence. And it, it, it gets back to people, you know, wanting to retaliate like you guys have seen here with the, the gangs in, in Chicago, that if somebody attacks us, well, you know, it has to be answered for. They have to learn that they can't do that. We have to do something. And so that just goes on and on. And I mean, ironically, nobody really wants that. I mean, nobody wants to send their kid off to war in a tank unit or nobody wants their kid to strap on a suicide vest. Um, so in spite of the vast majority of human beings not wanting it, it's impossible to see a way out because you're stuck in the thinking that we must take action to, it's a matter of dignity or teaching somebody a lesson or it's our right uh, to defend ourselves, And all of those things are really uh, real. And I mean, they, they appear real in people's minds and it's really easy to believe that. And I mean, that's just so normal for human beings, actually, anybody who's experienced um, loss, whether, you know, like a family member has been killed or injured or home has been destroyed. I mean, it's just so natural for us to want to take action um, and try and rectify it. And I didn't, I couldn't see a way out of that uh, at the time in spite of so many uh, efforts and time and money put into trying to explain the other side to people. Um, one of my jobs while there was a re as a reporting and information officer. So I wrote so many reports and so many advocacy briefings explaining uh, to people everywhere um, what the situation was. No, these people actually don't want to kill you. They just want to live their life just like you. And it was just like this endless amount of reporting and paperwork to try and uh, convince people of the humanity of other people. And it's not that there was resistance to that. It's like, okay, great. You know, maybe you're right, Stephanie. Maybe they are human beings, but we're human beings too. And we have to defend ourselves. And it was always just falling back into that same mentality of first I need to take care of myself and my family and my people and the only way I know how to do that is by uh you know making war basically we don't see another way um other than to you know take warlike measures and so you're just stuck you're totally stuck and so after after years of reporting on this and bringing loads of um, visitors to Gaza. Another thing that I did was I would bring um, um, both American congressmen and also European parliamentarians um, to Gaza to see the situation on the ground, to see the, the human beings that um, 
that we were trying to to help and and serve and to give them a, a more accurate picture of the reality rather than what was uh, propagated on, on the media. And again, when people would see the situation on the ground, they they could see that we were just dealing with average normal human beings who wanted to uh, take care of their families, to go to work, just provide for their families, give their kids an education, you know, celebrate birthday parties, celebrate weddings. It's just like so mundane what human beings want. And they, they were inspired to help, but also at the same time, when they went back to their um, capitals and tried to explain this, we would always run into the, they ran into the same problem. Yes, but, and they would go back into the, the pattern of thinking that kept us trapped in a cycle of violence you know, yes, but there has to be some response to the rockets coming out of Gaza. Yes, but everybody has a right to defend themselves. And you you just would always fall into that same trap. And so I kind of got uh, dis- disillusioned and decided to um, leave that job and, and, and take some time off. And then it was... Later on, when I learned about how the mind works, and it was after I had given up, basically, on trying to find an answer to end the violence, um, that I came across the answer. That it is so much simpler than I had ever thought. Um, Previously, when I was... uh, studying international conflict analysis, I thought the answer lie in learning all the theories of uh, conflict transformation and uh, con- uh, peace building, um, of which there are so many theories that basically you look at um, what has happened in the world so far, and then you would try and apply that theory to a current situation. And there is a vast uh, body of knowledge and all these exceptions and corollaries to all the the theories. And I thought that that's where the answer lies. So I spent a lot of time doing that. So I was so surprised uh, to realize that the answer is so much simpler than I doing a master's program had ever thought it could be. And that me as a a human right, uh, United Nations official in Gaza ever thought it could be. And the answer is in understanding how the human mind works. And it's an understanding that anybody can get. Like you don't need to go and do a master's in international conflict analysis to understand how to end war, which is great news for everybody. <laughs> like we all don't have to spend $30,000 in studying for two years <laughs> to figure out how to end war. It's so simple. All it takes is for you to see how all of our experience, especially um, the feelings that we are looking for, is always coming from our own minds. And the reason that that ends war is because all of the reasons that we go to war is, are based on a misunderstanding of where our experience is coming from. So for example, one of the reasons um, nations go to war is for resources. 
let's say land or water, um, they have, there's a feeling of scarcity of resources. It's a feeling that we're not going to be okay until we amass a certain amount of land from other people or that we are in control of something. So what people are looking for when they, um, take action to acquire uh, more resources is they're looking for a feeling of re- a feeling of resource security. It's a feeling. It's not a thing that you can actually get. And that's so obvious when you look at like a country that I don't know which country has all the water in the world. Now, if the accumulation of the water resource was the source of your security, then we would expect that people who live in resource-rich countries would feel secure all the time. But of course, that's not the case because our feelings of security don't come from amassing resources. They don't come from amassing money, land, water, or anything else. Feelings are always being generated moment by moment from the mind. So... Regardless of what you accumulate, you can feel secure or insecure. And for me, that was so amazing uh, to see that. I mean, it's, to- it's totally revolutionary and it's so simple and obvious once you see it. Um, it it's kind of like one of those, uh, you know, Homer Simpson moments. Like, oh, <laughs> of course, of course. That's where my, you know, my feelings are coming from myself, uh, from my mind. And that's all anyone is ever looking for is, uh, feelings of security. And, uh, so yeah, that's it. That's, that's really how I came to see how, um, war would end is if, and when a critical mass of humanity had the very, very simple understanding of experience coming from our own minds and not from external factors. That's it. We will just stop doing things to make war. I love what you said about, um, and then I know you probably have follow-up questions tomorrow, but how you don't need a, a, a degree in conflict resolution to get it. And the way I know it is that if you have had any relationship with a family member or a loved one or a spouse, you've seen this in action. You've seen that the other person does something that you don't like and you get a feeling from it. And then you go, I got to do something to change that. Whatever it is, like, I got to get mad at you. I got to explain how wrong I got to act to cope with the feeling that I have that I think came from that person outside of me. So I can totally see that if I do that and then you on your hand, you react to that, then we're basically quote unquote in war. It's just not a country war. It's just between two people. And I've also had the experience of feeling a lack of resources and trying to fix that by getting more resources. So I feel like I don't have enough money. I want to fix that feeling. I got to go get more money. 
And then my mind becomes about getting more money, not realizing I could have infinite supplies of money in my bank account and I could still feel insecure. That's what I loved about what you said. Like in that feeling of insecurity is not connected to the external. It's like a, it's an inner thing that we as humans could feel and that you don't need a, a PhD to know that you, you can just see it in your own life that that's true. I've seen it at my work. I've seen it in my life. And kind of the only thing I hear is saying is like, that's true for countries at war. That's true for different religions with different opinions. It's, it's true for anybody who are seeing themselves as opposites. Like kind of like the, the, the kids here in, in Chicago, they call themselves ops. They're opposites. They are opposition. So if they kill somebody you know, they literally use the word, then we have to put hurt on you. I was thinking that when Stephanie was talking about it, is that is exactly how they talk about it. Like, oh, you put this feeling on me. I have to go put this feeling on you as if you can do that in the world. Which if what you're saying is true, is a complete misunderstanding. Yeah, that's that's the only thing I was going to say. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, it's interesting because I was just thinking like, that's one of the misunderstandings is this idea that feelings um, somehow originate externally and then therefore have to be tended to externally. And um, as you said, that's a never ending cycle. Like you couldn't, you can't see a way out because if that were true, if you made me feel bad and I had to then put bad feeling on you, then what do you do? You have to put bad feeling. It's just so obvious. Like you said, it doesn't, you don't need a PhD to figure out that that one has no ending to it. But I also think what's interesting is I was almost a little bit playing devil's advocate in my head as you were talking about resources, because I was thinking, you know, if people could call in right now, oh man, there'd be a shit storm. There'd be people say, well, but what about hunger? And what about water, like when there really isn't water and, you know, what about, uh, you can see it in so many different crises, but, um, I think what's really fascinating is I almost wanted to ask you to challenge you because I know without going down the rabbit hole of the history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it is a really interesting example of land as a resource, but really the idea about that land, the thinking about that land. And I was even considering things like water or food, for example. And it is fascinating that when people don't feel threatened, that a feeling is being done to them by another group of people, they naturally um, work together and share resources. Want to share, yeah. Yeah. So so it's no problem um, for, you know, countries that don't feel threatened by each other to help each other out. But the second you misunderstand that feeling, oh my gosh, you get mine, mine, mine. I'm not helping you. I don't, you know, sanctions and things like that. That so it, it is really interesting to consider, even with resources, particularly in this day and age, we could easily help one another. Or if you even wanted to get more um, basic about it, is if you look at, um, you know, I've I've read about. Um, different cultures like the Aboriginal culture or um, Amazonian tribes. These are people who live off of the land very simply in a very basic way that is more than enough for them in their minds and their interpretation. So it, 
it really is fascinating how even resources are often misunderstood as um, creating feelings of insecurity more than is actually true in reality, if that makes sense. I don't know if you can say anything about what you saw about that living there firsthand and seeing, because I would imagine that was often a part of the argument of, no, this isn't about just what's in people's mind. This is about this this real thing that exists out here. Yeah, probably the more obvious resource there that is talked about is land, even though water is a huge uh, problem as well. I mean, throughout the region, there is water scarcity. But as you kind of alluded to, when there are ways, there actually is enough for everybody on the planet. It's just that we think there's not. Um, Or we think that, you know, we need to kind of hoard it to be okay when that's not actually the case. But going back to the land thing, I mean, this, the whole heart of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is about land. That's what started it. It's not about uh, religion or ethnicity. It's about who owns the land, who gets to call the land theirs. Um which is so interesting. It, it reminds me of that, the, the blog I wrote, because it talks about, in that blog, I talked about ownership. This whole idea of ownership is a really interesting thing. Like right now, we just take it for granted that I, Stephanie, I own certain things. They're mine. But the concept of ownership is actually created from Guess where? The human mind. Right. <laughs> like where everything is. The earth doesn't assign people things. You get this little bit of land, you get it. <laughs> right, exactly. Like you don't look at the soil and say, excuse me, who do you belong to? The soil's like, what? Are you talking about belonging? I'm just the dirt, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or a tree. You know, hey, tree, which country do you belong to? It's like, it doesn't work that way. Us human beings, we invented the uh, uh, concept of owning uh, land. That's not how it always was. Um, and then we, we take it really seriously. And we, we are now living in that reality. And like with all concepts that humans invent, when you know that it's an invention and not a reality with its own existence outside the human mind, then you're a lot freer to invent again. Like we, we can, we've probably invented loads of concepts that are not serving us as humanity, like war. War in itself is a, is a concept. It's a creation of the human mind that then collectively we decided this is a way that we can deal with disagreements Right. The idea that it resolves issues. Right. But we could have invented something else to resolve issues like some, anything like jumping on a trampoline. Okay. Next time we have a disagreement, we're going to go jump on a trampoline. That's how we're going to, that's going to be our concept for resolving issues. You know, it's so, it's so made up, but we forget that. We forget that we invented it all and then we're stuck. And then we make up rules of war. Like, well, wait a second. Or we can just not have war. We can invent something else. 
rather than dealing with a crappy invention. You know, it's like the, the metaphor I talked about before, like putting vitamins in poop. Really? You have a pile of poop and you're going to put vitamins in it? Like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just like flush it down the toilet and, uh, you know, put something, have something else fresh uh, come out of the, the human mind that we actually want to deal with rather than trying to make better something that uh, we realize is probably a bad idea. Um, I digress. I was talking about land ownership. No, um, but it's a brilliant, I mean, I love your digression. <laughs> um, so when you see that, when you see that human beings, and first of all, we invented the concept of ownership. And then along with that came the invention of calling land by names, which we now call states. That is all a human creation, which makes it up for grabs. It's totally up for grabs. And the second something is no longer serving us, we can, we do have that freedom to create it again if we understand the source, if we understand that it doesn't have an objective existence without us collectively living in that reality. So I'm thinking like this is a great segue into what you're doing in terms of creating a future generation that understands the mind exactly as you just described it, that understands that we are the creative inventors of these things. And if we understand the mind and we understand that it all comes from thought, then we have this incredible capacity to create a new world and that it's absolutely realistic and simple and doable that children can be educated about that fact, about that power of the mind. Um, and I think, you know, there's like, again, I can feel almost like a, a sense of wanting to say like, oh, but you're fighting, you know, millions of years of, of human instinct. And, but what I find so fascinating, and we can see this in the youth that we've worked with, and I'd love for you to talk a bit about your projects and what you're doing with youth, is that it's actually, it's actually not hard to point out to young people that they are creating their experience of, the, of life from the inside out, from their mind. And that it's so tempting to look at things that have been in place for so long from a historical perspective and thus immediately think they're hard. It's going to be hard to change that. You're talking about millions of years of, you know, human evolution and instinct. And, but what I find really exciting about, you know, the work that you're doing um, is you don't see it as hard. And it's actually been... Um, really um, welcomed with open arms by the youth that you're talking to. So say a little bit about why you felt that educating a generation about the mind would solve this problem and how you're doing that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was such a relief for me to see how easy it actually is to create um, a generation that understands this because previously I had thought that we would have to convince people not to hurt other human beings. And for the reasons I described earlier, that was really hard to do because other hum humans, we get stuck in our thoughts that there's no other option I have to. So that like convincing people of the humanity of other people or to not retaliate or whatever, that is, that 
was so hard for me because it didn't work. It, it <laughs> failed. I mean, but this, just te telling people about how their experience is being created, that is so easy because there's no convincing. They can there's see no, it. Yes. There's no persuading. It's, it's just like, it's, it's the easiest thing in the world. And they already know it. Like one of my favorite uh, classes when I was just starting to teach kids this understanding at this school in, in Israel, there was uh, like a handful of uh, guys and a couple young girls in it. And when I was telling them about, you know, the source of uh, experience, the, the guys were challenging me a little bit. You know, like, no, I'm sure like, you know, when my parents uh, ground me, that's what uh, makes me angry that, you know, that looks real like it's them because if they wouldn't have grounded me, then I wouldn't be angry, et cetera. And then the girls were just sitting there totally quietly, silently. And I'm like, guys, do you want to, you know, join the conversation? Like, why are you so quiet over here? They're like, we just thought it was so obvious where your feelings come from like what is there to discuss of course they come from you it's like impossible for anybody else to infect you with the feeling we can't believe why these you know guys are they don't see it it's the most obvious thing in the world and then the and then the guys kind of felt a little embarrassed that you know once again the girls showed him up <laughs> um so they do they get it and it's so easy to get when you just look at a couple examples of your own, of their, of their own lives. I had another um, young man, um, I was talking about, we were in a, in a workshop talking about this. And he was making the point that the reason he felt um, like an injustice uh, had been done to him was because of his background his, you know, his culture and the history of his people and, you know, being Palestinian, it was just kind of like part of the package of, uh, of his cultural history that you felt, um, aggrieved. And then we kept talking about that and we got to a point where he r realized that when he was at, uh, checkpoints, which are really common in, in, in the West Bank. Um, he had had different experiences at checkpoints. Now, most people, if you'd ask them, what's your experience at a checkpoint? It's stressful. You know, you have soldiers with guns checking you. You don't know if you're going to get through. You don't know if you're going to be late. You don't know if there's going to be an attack. I mean, it's, it's an unpredictable kind of, uh, situation. And so people associate that normally with stress. And what he realized is that the, sometimes he was okay at a checkpoint. And that was like a major aha moment for him. It's like, wow, I have been okay at a checkpoint. And that proved it for him. That proved the whole point that his stress was not coming from a checkpoint. Now, there's nothing wrong with feeling stressed at a checkpoint or feeling stressed ever. You know, we, one of the things I, I'm always keen to stress is that you can feel however you want to feel. This is not 
telling you to don't feel aggrieved. Don't feel like an injustice has been done to you. You can feel stressed. You can be angry. That's fine. Have your human experience. But you will find an unbelievable freedom when you know that it's coming from you and not the circumstance. And that kid did when he knew that he could be okay at a checkpoint. His life is now different. It's, it's totally changed. And I can imagine that now he's, he's just going to be able to be more calm and relaxed in any circumstance in his life, knowing that it comes from him and not um, the checkpoint. And less defensive and reactive, I would imagine, which is yeah. what usually are the little, little sparks that lead to the bigger flames getting lit, you know, is people coming to something already on the defensive because they feel threatened, you know, and I see that with the kids in Chicago. We see that in our relationship as husband and wife. It's like, if you are already assuming that something might make you feel bad, you are more likely to become a part of the problem. You are more likely to somehow incite an incident, a violent, you know, reaction. So it's, it's a very, like it's an ordinary individual example you're giving, but you can see how that has not only huge ramifications for that kid in his life, but that that's really, to your point, the source of conflict or peace is people mm -hmm. seeing that or not seeing that. Yeah. And I, I would say, like, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm feel I'm like I'm I'm a realist about some of these things. Like to me, it seems like at a personal level and at a group level, it's fairly easy to uh, have somebody realize or have a shift in thinking. When people bring up the point, yeah, you can do that, but it's going to be really hard shifting six billion people to uh, be open to changing their minds about stuff and be open to moving or rearranging their order of reality. And like, and I kind of think to myself, yeah, I think that's going to be hard, <laughs> but that's the only thing we can do. Like that's, that's still like, so what, so what if it's hard, that's the only thing that's going to make change. That's where change comes from. So even harder. The other it never works. The other to one. Your point. The other one is not even harder. That's impossible. So it's either like, do you want to do something that's impossible, which is rearrange six billion people's external circumstances to fit each other, or could we point towards the mind and have like see more of that? And I think that's where the rubber meets the road. It's like the is it hard to change people's minds argument is not really relevant in this conversation if you all agree that it comes from the mind. Because everybody could see that, that these are just differences in opinion. These are just things that we disagree on. And all our mediation and all our uh, conflict resolution is, let's agree on like, you get this cup and I get this cup. But we never have conversation of like, Maybe I just made up that I want this cup. That's not the type of mediation. That's not the conversation. It's always trying to meet the external things that we think we need. Yeah. And I think just, the, just taking it back there, like questioning, like, what are we even mediating? We're mediating and 
resolving stuff that we made up in the first place, right? It's, it's like, it's that whole conversation that I feel is so much more easier than trying to mediate and resolve what we already made up. Like, exactly. Like we're fighting over unicorns. (laughs) (laughs) Really guys? (laughs) (laughs) I want the pink unicorn. No, I want the pink one. Wait. It's an invention. Yeah. It's so funny. I remember when I was um, just out of college, I went to Brazil to do this volunteer project and in the airport, getting ready to fly home. And I had this amazing experience of living in this incredible place where I found people to be so welcoming and so friendly with so little compared to what I had been raised with. You know, these were people living in the favelas and they were offering that they sh- that I should stay at their house instead of paying for a hotel. That was ridiculous. And I'm thinking, really? Like you have, you have nothing. You have one mattress for a whole family and you're inviting me to come also take up space. It was, it was shocking to me and it was so heartwarming in the way travel often is, at, especially at that age. And I remember being in the in the airport getting ready to come home and I'm, you know, early twenties and my mind starts going into my typical American mode of thinking, which is okay. What's next in life, Mara? Like, what do you, you know, you've kind of had your fun. You did your little volunteer thing. Now you got to figure out what you're going to do. And I started feeling really serious and kind of had a feeling of stress or insecurity of not knowing what I was going to do, what was going to be my next step, what was going to be my career. And I remember going into the bathroom and it was one of those where they had kind of blocked off the bathroom in the airport because there was a a janitor cleaning it. So I'm just like patiently waiting outside the bathroom and out comes this janitor and he started speaking to me. I'd picked up like just enough Portuguese while I was there to have like a friendly conversation. And I don't know, he just sort of struck up a conversation with me and I ended up asking him kind of, he seemed so nice. And I said, well, you seem to be having a really good day. And he was like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I be? I have the best life ever. Look at what I get to do. And he mm. meant it. it was like, look at what I get to do. I get to come and have this job. And, and he had so much. And I'm just sitting there thinking, here you are stressing about what you're going to do next in life figuring out your career. And here's this janitor in the airport in Brazil being like, are you kidding? I got life made. This is awesome. Have a great day. Bye. And it was just yeah. like, way to just throw my reality in my own face. But it's so fascinating how real that looks to the person who's thinking it. But what I love about your comment about unicorns, it's like, I was sitting there stressing about unicorns, Hmm. basically. Like I have this idea, you know, in, 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 in my world and the reality of Mara that I, in order to feel good, need to know what's going to happen with my career. And then sitting right in front of me as someone who is just proving that that is so made up. It was so humbling to me in that moment Hmm. and helpful. Yeah. Um, just to, uh, pick up a little bit on the, your comment on what's hard or what's easy. Um, having a critical mass of the 7 billion humans on this planet, knowing this seems really easy to me. And I think it's because, um, 
I mean, one of the things I did in Gaza was I started a, an educational channel for children, like a, a satellite TV channel. And that's reaching millions of kids in the region, which was never really the intention. I was happy if it was going to meet, reach like 200,000 kids. And then lo and behold, it uh, just like took off. And next thing you know, it's reaching millions. And so maybe it's having that experience of already reaching millions of kids that, you know, 700,000 or 700 million, it doesn't seem like that much more. You know, like maybe if we were living before the information age, before um, all of the, you know, technology and YouTube videos and podcasts and radios and all that, maybe um, it would be harder. But it doesn't seem hard to me, A, for that reason. But also because um, kids already know this. You know, it's so, they had to learn, they, we're born knowing this. We, we, are, we are born knowing that um, our feelings are coming from us, our experience is coming from us, and we learn to blame uh, other people for our feelings. So it's not, you know, trying to teach people something new. It's just reminding them of what we all know when uh, we're born and we come into this world before, um, you know, well-intentioned adults like myself as a mother, you know, corrupt my poor son into thinking that, if he throws his dinner across the the room, I'm going to get mad. That's going to, you know, um, result in me having a feeling. Um, so we're the, we're the ones that uh, are teaching the generation the, the misunderstanding about uh, experience. But um, it's, once you see it more and more, it's easy just to kind of stop doing that and let kids just grow up without that, conditioning. So that's, that's the other piece as well. We just have to stop conditioning them in the misunderstanding. Like no child is born thinking of themselves as a race or thinking of themselves as a religion or thinking of themselves as a nationalist for a certain geographical location on the map. No kid is born that way. No, it's all learned. And even a step further, no kid is born knowing that they're separate from you. Like this was a shocking thing for me is when um, basically I had to introduce pronouns to my son because I, and up until that point, he just thought we were one. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And he's like, wait, you, me, what? What does that even mean? We're not in the same body? You mean that's yours and this is mine? Like that is learned. It's all learned. One of my um, friend's uh, son the other day, asked her, um, so can boys only marry girls? You know, he's like four or something. And she said, no, good news. <laughs> it recently became okay that anyone who loves anyone can marry anyone. And she said, he goes, woohoo, and did a little dance. <laughs> it's like, it's such a pure example of a kid being like, so what are the rules on planet earth right now? Like, cause they don't know, you know, it's like, Fill me in. And it's so amazing how given the, the, the particular date on the calendar, when a little human decides to ask that of an adult, you get a very different answer. Or depending on where on earth you were born, you get a very different answer. But it was so cute. Her, her response to it was like, she's like, no, good news. You can marry anyone you love. He's like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> so cute. I 
love that example. We, um, we, we're reading the book. Uh, we probably mentioned this in every podcast, but <laughs> uh, Sa- Sapiens a new book. about um, yeah, and um, he, he talks about like I love the simple of examples of like just how we structure families. It's like now you have you brought in and it's like this is your life this is your room this is your toys and it's like immediately it's like i have a separate place in the house that's mine you know and i have these toys they're mine they're not yours they're mine (laughs) you could borrow them and it's like it's that moment in time that's culturally what we've made up and uh, maybe other places in the world in different communities or different historical it would be the opposite it will like if you think something's yours, you're not part of this group. But now it's like the thing we teach people is like, that's yours. That's mine. I don't touch yours. This is mine. That microphone that I bought it, that's mine. It's not yours. But in other culture, it was like nothing was owned. Yeah. It was all yeah. everyone's. But I love those. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, you just, as soon as you wake up as a child and like, boom, you're so like, okay, you start to figure out what is this world about? And then we're taught about it. And what we make up in 2018 is like what we think the world is. And we don't question that that is just the world in 2018 based on the thinking we have in 2018. And in 2050, we're going to have different thinking. So we're going to teach our kids different things. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we're going in a, an evolution of thinking in the right direction. So we'll, we'll get healthier more uh, kind of connected thinking that thinks more holistically about the world, which it seems like we are. Well, and I can see it's so simple in that if the only shift that happened, and I love how how hopeful and easy it looks to you, is like, yeah, all we got to do is help kids see that your feelings come from you and no one else. And if you know that, then life is way easier. It's less scary. You're less on the defensive. And you've created a animation to do exactly that, um, a curious world. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and kind of, I, I mean, you saw me when the first time I saw you share that clip with, I don't know how many different kids, 10, 15, something like that from all different cultures. Mm-hmm. So you had a, a little girls sitting in Palestine watching it. Um, some kids on a couch in California watching it, some kids in England. And what I loved is you could see how quickly they picked up. Oh, he's getting a scary feeling because he's thinking about something scary. And it was like, oh my God, this really is so easy to teach kids. It's like <laughs> pushing them off a log. <laughs> like it was, And I got really teary because I don't think I had really experienced firsthand what you had felt, which is, you know, actually I started a TV station and and that now reaches millions of kids. Why couldn't I just come up with some programming, plug it into that and see if we can reach me? And it was just like all of a sudden the dominoes started to fall for me that this, this actually might be simple. And I love the, when the the kid has almost like an auto correction about an ice cream, it was like, why is the person feeling good? He just had an ice cream. And there was like, no, he was thinking about an ice cream. That's why it was happy. And it's just like, that's so cool. Like that they, they realize so simply and easily that the ice cream 
wasn't was making. Like, he was thinking about the ice cream. Like that's what it. And it's it's so cool. Those yeah. those moments. So simple. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, it's laughably simple. Like sometimes when I'm working with groups, I feel embarrassed. <laughs> Like, look, guys, I mean, I know we got two hours here, but what I'm going to tell you, we could be done in like five minutes. Where do your feelings come from? Oh, your own minds. Yeah. Um, But until it's pointed out, it's uh, not obvious. So what a curious world is all about is just showing where feelings come from. So curious is a little dragonfly who gets confused and thinks that when he has... uh, a bad feeling, whether it's insecurity or, um, like isolation, like he's, uh, maybe his friends don't like him. He doesn't feel like he belongs or he feels bored or he feels like he doesn't have a life purpose. Whenever he, um, is feeling something that he doesn't want to feel, he goes on a search for it. And he searches for it outside of himself. He searches for it in other people and or in other places. And then the moral of the story is always the feeling that he's looking for is inside of himself. And he could have that anywhere, anywhere in the world and with any other dragonfly or other creature that he doesn't have to go on a search for it. The feeling he wants already exists inside of himself. And so... It's so simple and it's, um, I hope we'll, you know, reach millions, not tens of millions of other kids to, to remind them of something uh, that they already know. And if people want to see more about that or want to see the clip that I was talking about where you get to see different kids around the world having a reaction to just this very short clip, we're we're in the very early stages, it's only a minute and a half clip or Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. Um, you can check that out on acuriousworld.org, yep. right? That's it. Yeah. We can also put it in the show notes for the podcast and all the information to get involved. And to support, like we need people who with talent who could help us create episodes with this. We need funders, people who would put money behind this idea of the curious world. So anybody's listening is like, I want to help with creating this or creating the resources to creating this, please let us know. So do you want to summarize by saying anything in particular? Like, I just want to say congratulations. I'm so happy for you that after all of your hard work and uh, all of your um, hope that, that, that you didn't want to lose this belief that the world could be peaceful and that people could live without war, that you've found that, that you've found the solution to that for you. I remember when you and I first met, um, it was a very moving moment for you because I could feel, and I've had one of those aha moments myself where you realized you'd given up on something and then all of a sudden you saw something that meant you didn't have to be given up anymore. Um, So I'm just really happy for you and obviously we're delighted to have you working with us on our team, but I didn't know if you just wanted to leave with anything that might be hopeful for other people listening that maybe have been sitting here listening skeptically or feeling like, yeah, good luck with that because I see a lot of crap in the world. (laughs) Well, sure. Well, first of all, um, look, I know it sounds crazy. I I get that. Um, Sometimes 
I sound crazy in my head yeah. as well. But there are those moments of me questioning, can it be that simple? Can conflict and war end only by people knowing where their feelings are coming from? And the answer is yes. And it's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just so confident, confident about it. Not, I'm not trying to like be in like an arrogant way or uh, I don't know, like somehow off putting, but is it's, it is uh, clear and true for me. And there's nothing special about me in being able to see this. And I would just invite people, um, especially if you're skeptical, just to like see how it might be true in your own life. Like the next time you are experiencing a conflict with another human being to, to wonder where those feelings are coming from. And then you, you may be led to, to see that um, knowing the source will stop uh, any typical reaction that you would normally have. And then hopefully it's not too big of a, a leap to see how when a family in the household is more harmonious, a community becomes more harmonious, a country becomes more harmonious, and then our world is. Um, because after all, the world is only is made up of human beings. And, you know, and all human beings work the same. So it's the same answer for everybody in any situation. And, um, um, yeah, I'd love for you to humor me and just like check it out for yourself. And, uh, <laughs> and that's okay. If you want to, you know, call me crazy, I'm used to it. I'll, I'll join you sometimes as well. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you.